Each week, we listen to great technology leaders come on this podcast and share their advice. Now it's time to apply it. We've created a leadership program made specifically for technologists. Watch each week as your people take action and apply this advice and watch it all through leadership analytics. Visit leaderbits.io to enroll your directors and VPs in the highest quality leadership training program on earth. That's leaderbits.io. Now get excited because today we are talking to Doug Brent, the VP of Technology and Innovation at Trimble, and we discuss deploying a strategy throughout your organization, insight on where to apply yourself as CTO, and the importance of setting a culture of technical excellence. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Doug. Oh, you got the earbuds. Yeah, why not? Dude, I love them. They're like in my pocket permanently now. It, it works pretty well and it's nice, you know, the, the, the ritual of untangling your, uh, you know, phone headset gets a little bit boring after a while. Yep. <laughs> as, I was, as I was doing it, putting these on, but I got these like, I don't know, two months ago and my life has just changed. Okay. What's the pink, uh, purple pony behind you there? Oh, that's a unicorn. Okay, now the pink unicorn. Yeah, we Very got a nice. unicorn. Uh, and then we have the elephant in the room. Nice. Very and nice. An ampersand. I don't know, because I like Ruby programming languages, and I happen to use yeah. it a lot in there. Uh, Mr. Bezos, right? Yeah, very nice. Yes. Uh, Simon Sinek, one of my favorite leaders. Okay. And uh, how about... Well... What's the upper, you know, my upper left? Yeah, that, yeah. That's the princess physicist, my friend. It's a princess who gets stuck in a tower yes. and she uses physics to get herself out. I, I got to check that out. I'll send you a copy. I mean, it's, it's uh, my family's foundation. We have a charity, so I wrote the book. Yes. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that, I'd, I'd love to see that. That would be great. I'll tell you what's going on. Excuse me one quick second. What's going on in California right now is this, uh, the fire stuff is intense. You know, I'm in uh, Silicon Valley where obviously we haven't been touched by that, but uh, it's, it's like Beijing in the winter out there right now, you know, just really, really smoky. Oh, it's really bad. And, uh, you know, lots of people, I had two family members evacuated, another one that, you know, the fire line was 30 feet away. It's really serious business. My sister was lived in China for like three years. And she told me that, well, first of all, you all have these masks that you wear all the time and they design them. It's like a fashion thing because it's a part of your wardrobe. And secondly, when you want to go outside, you check the weather channel to see the smog report. Right, right. And I did that. I I went out for a run this morning. I'm actually a little bit hoarse from doing it. It's been up close to 200 air quality index where healthful is below 50. And we just got to 75 or something like that today. It's really, it's, I mean, it, it, it is exactly like being in Beijing where you can sort of see the air all around you. Are you typically an early morning person? I am. Uh, you know, I, the, the company I work for, Trimble, is a, is, I call it a big, medium-sized company. Um, <laughs> you know, it's about uh, $3 billion in revenue, 13,000 people, but very global. And so I'll often, I do a lot of work with guys in sort of plus 10 hours from here. So I'll do mm-hmm. a call at 6.30 in the morning. And then with the Indians at night at, you know, eight at night. Nice. I'm, I'm an early riser. I'm up and I usually go for a run around five thirty, And yeah. then I eat some breakfast and I'm into the office by seven thirty. get two, you know, an hour and a half, two hours work done before my team gets here. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, that's great. And I got to tell you, you know, I hadn't been aware of your podcast before uh, invited by somebody on your team to be on it, but I've listened to a couple of them and uh, you know, I, I, Funny you mentioned Ruby because one of the ones I picked up was um, by a guy doing a Ruby framework and okay. and uh, uh, a lot of you bring a lot of energy to it and I, it seems like a fun gig. It is. I you. yeah yeah I kind of created it. Yeah, it's great. I thought really all right, I want to help people right talk about these things and and I also want to you know, they say the average of the people you're with, you're the average of the five people you spend time with. So I said, all right, well, how can I position myself around a bunch of great technology leaders 
well, providing them value by covering topics that they care about. And yeah. then doing that in the form of a show allows me to spend time with them, you know, virtually every day. That's great. Yeah, no, it seems, uh, seems like a cool thing and, and uh, I'm happy to be playing, you know, happy to participate. So I'm curious, I, I saw your videos of, and I don't know if this is like the only thing Trimble does, but yeah. I saw the videos of the construction workers with the HVAC systems yeah. and they could, they could see the digital layout prior to them. Was that prior to the HVAC system existing or was that, were they seen through the wall? Uh, really good question. And, and uh, actually what they're seeing is the model of the HVAC system as it will uh, show up in the building. Oh, so uh, it really is, I'll, I'll tell you, Trimble's been a partner with both Microsoft and actually a neighbor of yours, Magic Leap, oh, yeah. uh, you know, from earliest announcement days. And I, I actually got to experiment with HoloLens or experience HoloLens would be a better way of saying it when it was, you know, still this gigantic uh, piece of machinery where you had to wear a backpack and you got to see it. And I think all of that augmented real reality technology is still early. You know, it still feels a little prototypey, both HoloLens and Magic Leap. But I, it was one of those moments, you know, that I've seen in, you know, 40 years of computing that you say, this is a new thing and it's going to really change the way people work uh, and live and entertain. So, yeah, I think augmented reality is a, is especially in the industrial world, uh, incredibly important. Well, here's what I liked about it. First okay. of all, it's a very legitimate use. Yeah. It, it is perfectly suited for the capabil the rendering capabilities and quality that we have today, right? right? So when people say, oh, AR isn't there, or OVR isn't there, what, they're, what they really want is to be in a different world with no equipment on their body. Right. right. <laughs> that that's right. the level that they're judging it. And it's like, but where you where where that's at, where that HoloLens is at, with what I saw, I was like, look, this perfect quality graphics, it solves a, a need and right. it's it's not in the future. Like you're selling these units today, correct? Right, absolutely. Yep. And in that particular one, it's integrated with hard hats, uh actually integrating Whoa. HoloLens with hard hats so that you can wear it on a job site. And we have a bunch of those kinds of, um, you know, can I just tell you quickly a little bit about Trimble? Yeah, Cause please. I'm guessing you probably don't know much about it. And I'm, I'm hope I'm betting anybody listening to this probably hasn't heard a lot about Trimble, but, tell me about uh, Trimble. but I'm hoping by the end, everybody wants to send me a job application because it's the coolest company uh, that I've ever worked for. Um, so Trimble got, Trimble started out as a pioneer in GPS. And uh, that was 40 years ago. We actually had our 40th anniversary uh, just this last week. And uh, today still is uh, a major player in precision, what's now called the generic form GNSS. It's all the satellite systems, Beidou, uh, you know, the Russian system, et cetera. Um, and that is a focus, but today it's, it's really, how do you take position, which has certainly changed cell phone world, you know, changed consumer world, but position in the industrial world and take that for uh, automation and autonomy, for um, you know, this idea of visualizing digital data in the real context, sort of like an IoT idea, but we really like to say connecting physical and digital worlds. I love it. So you're, you will span the spectrum of connecting the physical and digital worlds. It's not just in construction. No, so, so the big businesses we participate in are agriculture, which actually is sort of an interesting one to talk about, uh, building construction, road construction, transportation is a big one for us, and primary long-haul trucking. Uh, we can talk about that. And then the last one is, is geospatial, sort of the collection of geospatial, you know, precise geospatial data for mapping or survey or other purposes. Yeah, we went from like three meters to three feet. And now for this to work properly, you're like three nanometers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because people think GPS or GSS is accurate in their phones, but that's mostly because what we do is, is sort of, we're looking at where we are on a map. Um, the actual accuracy of a phone is about five meters on a good day in a benign uh, setting. Um, the precision GNSS stuff that Trimble's involved in is, you know, a couple centimeters of accuracy. And just to give you an idea of how that can be applied, uh, already 80% of farm tractors are automated. Uh, guidance of those tractors is automated. Yeah, no, I was driving by a construction site five, 
seven years ago and I saw these yeah. new things on the vehicles and they look like like a pool floater or something like that. Right. And I was like, what right. is that? So I looked it up and they got the string coming down and I looked it up and I was like, oh, they're, they're GPS guided, constri- they're putting the GPS on the actual vehicle that's paving the road or whatever it may be. Right. And that's I thought exactly that right. was brilliant. Yeah, and, and, and um, one way to think about this is essentially that bulldozer or that tractor becomes a 3D printer, right? You're sending it a 3D profile of what you, of sort of the desired outcome, and it does it for you. And uh, the benefit, like you talk about uh, paving a road, imagine you're a contractor and the municipality says, hey, you have to pave that road to a certain depth. Um, you're never going to try to hit that precisely. You'll put some margin above that. And now you take the, you, you integrate the volume of that over a huge road. That's a lot of money, a lot of waste, really. Um, and so with these highly accurate positioning systems, you can do that and, you know, hit that margin and save material and cost and, you know, a lot of good things. So what was Trimble doing, I don't know, let's say 10 years ago, were they in the construction business doing that? Yeah, so it's, so... Uh, Triple has changed a lot. Actually, our bigger, biggest one recently is building construction and transportation and sort of an evolution to a software company has happened in the last 10 years. But really, like this idea of precision farming is a 15-year-old idea. Uh, construction, automating construction equipment is a 15-year-old idea. So, but, but it's, you know, I, I've spent most of my career on software side. And I think as people look at technology, they sort of said, wow, this is such a fast-moving space. But really, you know, a computer language lasts for 30 or 40 years. You know, software products never die. Uh, so it's, you know, it really is sort of, this technology has been around for a while, but now particularly in the context of consumer vehicle autonomy, it's sort of taking on a new life and interest. And if you want to talk about it, I'm a skeptic on consumer automobile autonomy, but there's a lot going on because of it. You're a skeptic, like as if it will not happen? It'll happen, but it's a long way away. Um, I think it's a 15 year, 10, 15 year journey to get that. Fair enough. And do you think it's, it's a technological roadblock or a human and and governmental roadblock? I mean, I think it's all of the above, but I think the technology still has a long way to go. Have have you ever ridden in an autonomous vehicle? Well, no, not a fully autonomous. One of my business partners had one of the Teslas and like auto braked as we came up to a red light, but that was my experience with it. So I've done it twice, and I won't say whose, but each time there's been some, I mean, it's as a technology guy, it's amazing. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's freaking amazing that, that it works, but it's a little bit of a parlor trick. I mean, it's great work. I'm not, I, I mean, the people are doing fantastic work, but I still think that the difference from that to a fully functioning system, uh, it, you know, it's a, there's a long way to go and a lot of problems to be solved. I I'll buy into that. Yeah. Yeah. And, but what I, I, and I think to a certain extent, I, I, I resist the current thinking about uh, consumer automobile autonomy because, you know, they, they talk about level one through level five autonomy as if it's some, you know, monotonically increasing, you know, it's, it's just a, a nice step from one to the next. And I think that's not, that's not the way it will turn out. And if I could get a fully autonomous vehicle today, I, I would pay, three times what the car costs. There's no value problem with autonomy. I think for driver assist, which is sort of where the industry is today, I think there's very limited, like I'd pay something for it, but not a lot. I mean, Tesla wasn't charging much. I think they're charging like $5,000 as like an add-on for the car. Yeah, and I I honestly think once you've, you know, I've had a car that had, you know, fancy like self uh, parallel parking and adaptive cruise control. Did it work? yeah, it works pretty well. But then it's like the uh, the value proposition. It, it's like great for your friends. It's a great demo. So the Tesla, your Tesla friends have a great demo. But um, I don't use it all the time. And I think that something like GM Super Cruise is actually a better product promise if you're you know thinking of a, which basically says, hey, if you're on certain highways, we can mostly take over for you. But yeah, I think I, I think the, the that where we'll really see autonomy first are in these industrial applications like the ones, you know, Trimble's involved in today. Yeah, I, I like it. I'm excited to okay. see, I'm excited to see like the, um, the mowers. Like, I think at some point there's going to be 
like essentially a call center of people that are operating lawnmower machines remotely. Cause I don't think it'll go fully autonomous at first. I, I think, I think the, and you mentioned this level one through five, which I have to research cause I haven't heard this, but it reminds me of like yeah. the card, the Kardashian scale or whatever, where they talk about the energy consumption of a civilization. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I want to look at the one through five because that's probably a really good indicator, something for me to learn. Well, and I think, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's a discontinuity from existing driver assist technology to really fully autonomous. And, uh, you know, the social problems you talk about are real, but I think also just the technology, you know, there's just a lot of problems, a lot of problems to solve. Um, but I like your lawnmower uh, idea. I think it's, it, it, you know, it, the, the other thing about autonomy that's sort of interesting is if you and I have consumer cars, we are the mission. The mission is to get us from point A to point B, right? If you think about lawnmowers, the mission isn't really to get it from point A to point B. It's mow the grass, right? So a lot of the tasks, you know, we tend to apply that consumer thinking of, oh, it's getting the vehicle from point to point, which is our problem. But for most, you know, work problems, that's actually not the case. You know, so if you're, if you're farming a field, it's not, not getting from point A to point B, it's actually doing the work on the field. It's irrigation or whatever. Uh, uh, so I like your mower example, because I think that, that fits this sort of task automation model. And then we'll, so we'll, we'll do two things. The first thing I'll say is that I, I like the, the paving the road one, because yeah. A, there's a lot of money involved and it's government right. money. So, right. I mean, right. I don't care who you are, government money is just, it's government money. Uh, and right. and thank, thankfully it is. I mean, NASA and the amount of technical sharing we've had and all of that great stuff, uh, we get right. amazing benefits from it. But when I see, like the visual in my head when I'm driving down the interstate and it's the evening and I see a crew out there, large machines, Expensive projects, lots of people carefully moving very slowly. The machines pay right. very slowly. This is an ideal situation. Like I feel like to to automate that, it's it's there's a lot of you're not going 80 miles an hour on the interstate with someone cutting right. you off. So you right. have more margin of error there. It's a more controlled environment where you're moving slower and less is happening to really, you know, hammer down and harden these processes i i think everything you're saying is right and it's a, another uh, attribute of that kind of situation is stopping is an entirely valid <laughs> uh action uh you know if you get too confused you can just stop and that's true on a farm field it's true on a, a, a building construction site and and that if you think about this more as task automation exactly like you're describing in that paving situation I think that comes back to this physical to digital idea that, you know, we sort of start with digital models and a lot of, you know, certainly for building a building, really building a road, uh, believe it or not on farm fields, they have a digital model of the, of the, of the field, how they want to, you know, uh, traverse the field, what, what they're planting on the field, how they'll irrigate it, what kind of seed and soil, everything. We have these digital models and as much as possible, we want to automate the execution of those models, you know, essentially 3D print those models in the real world, collect data as you do it, because different than manufacturing in these outdoor environments, bad things happen. You know, you find a tree stump or, you know, something didn't match your model and you really want to send the data back. So you have a full closed loop of, of optimization for this sort of digital to physical idea. What are, what are, what are you most excited about? Like the projects that are happening at Trimble right now, you're making advancements and construction, both on the roads and in the buildings. Are, have you gotten into any of the medical stuff? And then what are you most excited about? No, we're not involved in medical at all, but I, I think to me, you know, ultimately you talked about government money, all of these things, all of this kind of automation, in the end uses less resources, you know, has less load on the environment, often it's a safety of life issue. So, you know, in my mind, this is one of the reasons why I like go to work every day is there's a very positive, uh, you know, social impact of most of this technology. I'll just maybe tell you one thing that I think is interesting right now. Everybody's talking about machine learning uh, applications. And I think, uh, or, or, or data analytics, a lot of people, what they imagine they get out of that is some report or some answer. And in general, I think where this whole idea of machine learning uh, really helps 
is if you have an existing system that's sort of helping people do their work, that you can make way better through the analysis of the data. So in the trucking industry in the U.S., there's 100% annual turnover. So just like absorb that for a minute. Like everybody you work with is going to turn over in 12 months. That's a big. That's a big problem. And actually, driver availability. You know, they're all bidding. All the trucking companies are bidding with each other to get drivers. We've done some analysis on what what causes drivers to leave. You know, not, not surprisingly, it's many factors. But two of the factors are what routes they they drive. So if you drive you know, maybe in the Northeast and you're always in traffic and always in bad weather, that would be one reason to leave a trucking company. The other is how far and how often they send you away from home. So we've done some really nice machine learning models and all the data because we sell systems that actually task the drivers. So we, you know, we have this sort of dispatching part of that system. And without really impacting the way that the driver operates or the dispatch operates, we can just take that model and change what the tasking is for drivers to make it less likely that they'll leave. Um, and in my mind, that's, that's sort of behind the scenes application of technology. Uh, you know, we could talk about neural networks and blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares about that. It's, could I reduce the driver turnover? And we just say, hey, yeah, just sort of flip this switch and all of a sudden your tasking will be such that you'll lose fewer drivers. That's brilliant. That's Perfect. like one of the best explanations I've had of a business case for for machine learning. Right. And, and I think there's a bunch of those kind of things. Um, but, you know, as technologists, I think sometimes we get so focused on the beauty of the tool that we lose sight of, like, what's the problem? How do you solve this in the customer context? I thought you were going to say, when you were listing the items, I thought you were going to yeah. say the quality of truck stop food. <laughs> um, actually, but one I didn't say, and I, I can't believe I missed this, is how good the truck you're in is oh, so okay. like modern modern long-haul trucks are actually pretty amazing you know some of them are pretty nice and so if you're in a you know crappy old truck you're more likely to leave than if you're a brand new truck so you know looking at and obviously more factors than that but yeah diner food uh, would be one uh, we don't yet have in our model i like that you mentioned the quality of the truck because i had a friend who uh ag tech business and we were at his cabin one time and he was talking about tractors and like he had a tractor magazine. I was like, Whoa, look at these things. They're crazy. The interiors and they're expensive. And like some of them are half a million dollars. And he says, yeah, he goes, you want, he goes, the smart business owners uh, will buy the really expensive ones because then the people will spend a little extra time in there and finish, do some more crop. Right. You know, and planting or whatever, whatever the task is. He goes, so when they cheap out and you get, they buy the you the cheaper ones or the older ones and they're less comfortable and it's hot and all this. He goes, then they're going to do less work. They're going to rush the job. He goes, but if you make them comfortable, they're going to do it right and work and work a good amount. And so, so I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a smart thing. So you mentioned that, right? You got to have the quality right. vehicle. Right. So I think that that, that whole, the sort of application of, of, you know, modern AI models to sort of, you know, some, really industrial problems. I think that's an interesting thing we're working on. We touched on this idea of augmented reality, which I'm, I'm very you know, excited about for many of our applications. And it can be as simple as just collaboration because people aren't very good at visualizing 3D. So you know, if you're a customer of an architect, all of a sudden you know, we could be walking around this, a, a model sitting on a desktop that you know, the cost of changing that model is essentially zero. These inspection-oriented applications, the one you picked up on, where I can see in context of, uh, you know, what I'm doing. And if it's, you know, often uh, you'd think there wouldn't be problems like this, but every building construction problem has, uh, you know, designed a duct to go through a steel beam, but you think that would never happen. It happens all the time. Um, uh, You know, a fun fact is that in building today, something between 20 and 40% of a construction project is waste. So if you're building a hundred million dollar building, you're going to waste twenty to forty million dollars in building that building. So yeah, yeah. I had a, a, I have a, a friend of mine who's been on the show. His name's Ben O'Donnell, and he has yeah. a company called BIM Object, B-I-M Object. Yes. And yes. they're growing rapidly. They're publicly traded in Sweden. They they right. literally have just been exploding. Multi-country. They do the storage of these BIM objects. They hook in with all the auto AutoCAD type programs and all this. Yeah, stuff. yep, yep. Um, but it was brilliant 
in their business model because they found the companies that had the products. And if you, you couldn't sell the product unless if it was integrated into the Autodesk program. So you, right, if you're building a building, you got to put 40 toilets right. in the 40 story building or whatever. You have to right. just select that toilet and it has to be real. So they made their business by going to these companies and doing that and then innovating all, all around it. But he, when he came on the show and, and we developed our relationship, he said his, his whole purpose was he was an architect to yeah. CTO, but the amount of waste he saw happening in the industry was insane. And that was the first time it was brought to my attention. It's totally true. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I'm aware of BIM object and, and uh, we've talked to them and, and while you won't, again, you won't necessarily think about Trimble as a design software company. We actually have two incredibly popular design software products. One is called SketchUp, which you may know. You guys have uh, SketchUp? Yeah. Did so you buy it from my, Google or? Well, so that's interesting. And that's what people say. We did buy it from Google. I think we're one of the few companies to ever acquire something from Google. <laughs> uh, uh, they, uh, you know, it, it was clearly a learning experience for, for them. <laughs> actually, uh, 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 SketchUp started as an independent um, company, was an independent company for years, and then was acquired by Google. And actually, did I think Google did something, uh, you know, Tons of smart people I have friends, lots of friends at Google, but they did they did, made a mistake that I call mistake smart people make, which is they they looked at SketchUp and they said this is like the easiest 3D design tool going. We'll use that and we'll be able to populate Google Earth. People will model their buildings. Blah blah blah. 3D design is still you know SketchUp has 30 million users. It doesn't have six billion users. 3D design is still not uh, for everyone. Uh, but yeah, so we bought that from SketchUp uh, from from Google. And have had that, I think, six, seven years uh, at this point. And uh, it's been a very successful marriage with uh, the SketchUp team who started in Boulder. They're still in Boulder. Um, and so we SketchUp. And then another one is for structural steel design, which is a much more specialized uh, uh, domain, but that's called Tecla Structures. And in both of those cases, similar to BIM objects, we have a SketchUp 3D warehouse that has something like 15 million of models in it. So this idea of content-driven design that, that BIM Object is promoting, and we're certainly promoting that as well, is I think an, a, a critically important thing going forward. Oh, it's so cool that you know them. Yeah, the co-founder is Ben. He's yeah, awesome. Yeah. 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 yeah no. uh, and I think ultimately in this sort of, you know, I'll keep, keep going back to this physical to digital or, you know, either way, digital to physical, to the extent that you can have 3D models that are what we call constructible. That is, again, can sort of go to the 3D printer to be made. That's a big part of how you reduce waste. So have content uh, enabled, yeah. uh, have, you know, constructible models and really a connected world. That's a big part of uh, this, you know, physical to digital thing. Can you explain real quick just the concept of, of the waste, how it occurs? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think if you compare this to manufacturing, manufacturing has no waste. Of course, it's not quite true, but I mean, it's highly optimized, indoor manufacturing. The problem is in building construction, a typical building, office building down the street from you, there'll be 200 companies, 200 independent companies working on building that building. Wow. There is a general contractor, and there is in the end a building owner, the owner may not be that sophisticated about building construction. If you were like, you know, if, if somehow you were building a brand new house. I built a house. Owner. Yeah. Okay, I didn't well, know anything about it. Yeah. All right. But I, I guess a lot of us, you know, if we went to a general contractor to build a house, I don't know, you know, I don't really know the details about building a house and coordinating across all those guys. Changes happen. Uh, uh, those kind of clashes I talked about where, you know, ductwork is going through a steel beam. You had two different people designing that and they just didn't communicate well with each other. I get what you mean. Yeah. So you, you're really coordinating across, and, and a lot of people are trying to solve this. We're trying to solve this problem of sort of collaboration coordination across all the different stakeholders and, and buildings aren't products, right? They're, they're projects. So you're not, you're not going to build exactly the same building next time. So it's a, it's a hard problem. I have the answer for you, though. Okay, please, Joel. 
Slack for contractors. <laughs> <laughs> I actually heard that on it. Yeah, uh, you know, we're a big uh, Google uh, tool shop. and We have some people use Slack, but we're actually pushing on this idea of sort of independent of what tool you're using, independent of like if you're using Autodesk or you're using SketchUp or Tecla, how can we make it easy for people to share models, share commentary, and, and, and by the way, making the, all that back to this augmented reality idea, how do I go out to the job site and actually visualize all that uh, collaboration data as well? I wonder if you ever get inspiration from products like Envision. Have you come across Envision? I don't know Envision. Please tell me about it. So Envision is this unbelievable product that allows designers to work together. And so it started out as like, you know, we're making web pages or interfaces or UIs for applications and we need to get multiple people involved. It's evolved into something like way beyond that. Uh, and they're, they're a pretty large company, but the way that they handle collaboration and iteration through design changes amongst groups of designers, just fascinating. Like when it came out, I, I was just so happy because at the time my company was designing applications, mobile applications, iPhone and Android. Right. And so it just like changed everything uh, for us. It just seamless collaboration where before you'd be sending each other files back and forth or just right. and now you just look at the one file and everybody can just come into it. And it was, you know, the way that they executed it worked really well. So I'm going to definitely check that out. I, I, and I do think being aware of successful, you know, collaboration is hard. We, we talk yeah. about it like it's easy. And, uh, you know, looking at successful examples, I think in this particular case, Slack isn't an answer, but I think it's- No, certainly, no, I was joking. I, I know you were joking. <laughs> okay. I'm just trying to say, I think being inspired by where collaboration uh, tools have been successful uh, is really good. And it is sort of, a building is like software in the sense that, you know, if you're a DevOps guy, you think about the software as, you know, the running instance of deployed software. If you're a designer, you might be thinking about the UI. Buildings actually have some, like, if you're a structural engineer, you think about the steel columns in the building. If you're an architect, you think about, you know, the, the surface. If you're an interior designer, you're thinking about the uh, furniture and interior layout. So that's the hard part about collaboration is sort of getting all those different disciplines who have a different view to be working with each other, but I will definitely check. I appreciate that thought and I will check out Envision. Yeah, I think Slack did a really good job at communication, but if you want collaboration on vision in a visual world, it, that mm -hmm. company Envision is the, yeah. is the one to, to check out. So okay. I'm curious, well, I will definitely take a look. now that we're talking about vision, you, yeah. you do so, you're, the organization you're with is, is large, you know, 5,000 yeah. plus people, correct? Uh, actually, 13,000. 13,000. 13, okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah. 13,000 plus people. And yeah. you're the CTO. Yeah. And so I want a little bit of insight on how you're picking where to apply yourself. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And, and even more than being 13,000 people, we're 13,000 people really spread out around the world, you know, all over. Uh, and it is a hard problem. And I think, you know, it's funny. I think we have sort of common tools in the toolkit for, um, you know, dealing with complexity. But I think that are often what's really most important is what's the specific problem you ha you have to go solve. You know, sort of problem led. Our problem at Trimble is we've grown a lot through acquisition. In the last ten years, we've done a hundred acquisitions, small, typically small acquisitions. So, and we have a culture that says you have to be close to the customer. Uh, and you really make decentralized decisions. Every company says that, by the way. Uh, every company I've worked at says that. Trimble really does it. So that, is, that, that sort of is the challenge, particularly from a software point of view, which says if we have a portfolio of 30 different applications that make sense to uh, uh, building owners, which we do, or more, how do you get commonality across those? And how do you get teams working around the world? That is my number, that is my number one uh, challenge and focus. Um, and then you say, how do I determine how to spend my time? I think to look at either a glaring problem or a glaring opportunity to get you know, groups A, B, and C working together. 
Can you can you go into a little bit more about that? Getting them working together, like smoothing yeah. the communication between them. You know, it's 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 a, I don't have a a a, a ready made answer that says it's always the same thing because it sort of depends on the situation. Yeah. But often, you know, we're like, you know, certainly Trimble did not start out as a cloud native company, uh, but more and more our solutions are moving to the cloud. So part of that means to have sort of a common set of building blocks for cloud applications. So, it, you know, over a period of last two, three years, we've really gotten a cloud strategy that says, you know, we have a common identity system that has millions, you know, ma manages millions of users, authorization, uh, API management, uh, you know, sort of data lake, data strategy. So we have sort of the core building blocks uh, that, that any application will need to just sort of talk to each other. Uh, we have sort of data level interoperability. We talked about collaboration. Um, you know, how do I take a model from Autodesk and a model from uh, Tecla and make those both models visualizable in my collaboration environment? So some of it uh, has been just getting a, a cloud strategy in place that can work for the whole company and then getting people to adopt it. Um, I think on new kind of work, uh, uh, something that's important to us, for example, is being able to visualize complex models, you know, often multi-hundred megabyte models on something like a HoloLens or at least in a web browser. Um, yeah, uh, so we've done some core technology work in one place in Finland that we're, then it's sort of like, how do you seed that out everywhere and get that in everybody's product roadmaps? And it's a combination of encouragement, selling, and, you know, <laughs> usually getting a stick out uh, to make that happen. <laughs> you sell, you, you start selling the idea. Right. <laughs> you always exactly start with the right. best option. Yes. Let's sell this idea and let's get buy-in. I understand I've got a small example of buy-in today for me. Okay. We actually, we have a product at the comp, like the podcast ended up producing a product out of it because of people asking for it, coming on the podcast and asking for it. And so we ended up doing this leadership training product and we're growing. We've got about eight people now and in the past like six months. So it's doing pretty well. And yeah. And we just finished our first round of venture capital. So we'll probably be about 30 people by next year. Wow. But I was part of a user experience, joining some users and using the application for the first time. And I noticed, okay, when they hit this step after their onboarding process, everyone always has this question, right? Which is answered in the screen before, right? right. But, they, but they go from that screen like, oh, cool, I unlocked the dashboard. Then they hit the dashboard, right? And so, and then it's just the dashboard, just the no, just normal accessible dashboard. And so I said, well, what we need here is we need a notification to the user again that says, like, congratulations, here's what you do next. Because everyone's like, all right, hit the dashboard, what now? And so right. then we explained it. So then I submitted these changes to my uh, engineering team. And they're like, this doesn't make sense. It's not logical. You have the same message before. This is just bloat. You don't need it. <laughs> and so I had to then get them to buy in. Uh, through right. you know sharing some of the recorded user sessions, showing them that look, people are legitimately confused. I could have taken the route of like just do what I say and don't ask questions, but that never works. <laughs> right. That's not leadership. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, occasionally you have to go there, uh, but but it's not a it, it, a steady diet of that is is certain to lose. Yes, there's uh, a balance. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting. I think. You know, so so I think another part of what what I try to do, particularly given that we're a, a global, highly decentralized company, is stress exactly the opposite of that. Without trying to change that core pillar of our culture of being decentralized, what can we do to get a sense of who we are as a company as well? And so I'm proudly wearing my uh, Trimble Hack uh, 2017. We just finished 2018, and and we have about 3,500 product developers. We had a thousand people participate in a, a, a single 24-hour cycle around the world, uh, heavy, heavily using Hangouts to sort of, uh, and Google Plus communities to, you know, post pictures and demos and samples uh, and, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff like that to try to sort of give people a sense of being, you know, a common global sense that they're part of something bigger. And that's part of your, your responsibilities there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it's, it's funny, I think when we first started this out five years ago, we've been doing it five years, um, people basically said, oh, you know, who's going to want to do this at midnight in, in Finland? Uh, and I think we had 150 
people participate and it's just grown every year and it's, you know, a fun uh, event. Um, and I think, you know, it's a way for people to exercise creativity and to sort of get this sort of global notion of who we are. I have a question from the audience, if that's okay. <laughs> sure. All right. So Eric Schrock, he's CTO, a uh, company, they have about, it looks like 5,000 or 5,600 people. And yeah. he, they separated the SVP engineering and all of software engineering. And then he sort of sits in this office of CTO and just focuses on big picture strategy and innovation. Right. And he, he wants to know, uh, what are your thoughts on strategy and deploying it across the organization as your organization gets larger and larger? What have you learned? I'm out of my depths asking this question because I've never managed a company with over 5,000 people. So I'm assuming yeah. you'll know how to handle this. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's a fundamentally hard problem. Uh, and I, I think it's both recognizing that, you know, no one person is going to have in their mind the the strategy for a big complex beast you know we we probably ship more than a thousand products and i consider my job is getting paid to go around the world learning you know so i i'm not i don't have always the answer but i think it is this this sort of art of uh in most cases the strategy should be led by the people who are closest to the customer, the business um, that you really want. Like when, when I talked about transportation business earlier, we have sort of a key technology leader for that transportation business who's looking at things like blockchain that matters for them a lot, that, that kind of thing. But I do think at this bigger picture level, which it sounds like he's operating and I would say that's where I'm operating as well. It's, it's I think, looking at what the cross company strategy issues that matter for us, it's been this, uh, you know, our uh, cloud strategy and cloud onboarding strategy for our existing applications. And then I think secondly, I think this idea of setting culture uh, is very important. And I think we, you know, it needs to be within a company culture, but there needs to be a technology culture of openness of uh, willingness to make mistakes as long as we learn from those mistakes, of, you know, I think high integrity, availability, technical excellence. I think you need a champion for those kinds of things. And that comes down to like having the quality people that are those things and then having a quality leader to lead those people. I think that's right. And I think highlighting, you know, highlighting the best, you know, the best people and their successes and frankly, not shying away from failure as long as you're learning from it. Because if you, you know, a mistake I've seen at many companies, you know, a million years ago, I worked at Apple. If you made three mistakes, you're done. You know, you, you, you know, you're, you're complete. You might as well quit if you're not fired. Um, I make mistakes all the time. Uh, and hopefully they're not too big. And hopefully I can make a fast decision and learn from that and then uh, do the right thing. Uh, but I think that that mindset of sort of, uh, you know, make a decision, experiment, see what the right answer is, needs a supportive culture. And what is your team? Do you have like a direct team that works with you? Yeah, I do. I, it's, I've been, I started out as a team of one. I report to the CEO. And actually, that's my preferred model. Uh, because in this highly decentralized, I have 400 people reporting to me directly now. Uh, I don't really prefer that model. I like the, the, especially in a decentralized company, I sort of wish I was back to having no one reporting to me. But uh, yeah, I do have a team now. So what does that team look So you don't have a team of like five that helps you manage those 400? No. no. Uh, well, I mean, there's a natural oh. hierarchy. You know, there's sort of a natural oh, okay. hierarchy. Oh, okay. But, but uh, uh, basically I ended up owning you know, this whole cloud strategy that I was talking about, I ended up owning those pieces and I own some of our core uh, positioning technology for Trimble as well. Um, but I, I really think the most powerful position I have is not the people who report to me, but my ability to influence the whole organization, you know, sort of through, initially through, you know, the CEO hired me and said, hey, this is going to be the guy. Uh, but I think more and more just, you know, I've been there seven and a half years as developing trustful working relationships around the globe. I travel about 350,000 miles a year, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, direct contact with people so I can influence the outcome. 
Well, I don't think I don't think less of that. I think more of it. So a lot yeah. of it's weird because as you trans as people transition from an individual contributor role doing details of a work to a leadership role where it's really about relationships, having enough space to vision that vision and then being able to influence and bring that vision into reality. Uh, yeah. That is the essentially it's like the almost the opposite of the management of the of the metrics, right? It's right. very different. And so, yeah, like when we say, when I, I was thinking a lot about, I've, have you ever heard of John Maxwell? Yes. Okay, so I'm new. I was a big fan of Jim Rohn. Uh, yeah. And Tony, so I listened to some Tony Robbins. I was like, that's kind of cool. But then I found his mentor was Jim Rohn. Then from there, I was introduced to John Maxwell. And I'm, I'm thinking, whoa, this guy is like really fantastic. So I've been listening to a lot of the, the leadership uh, content and it's becoming more clear, but you have to deal with a lot of intangibles, but the difference between leadership and management is becoming so incredibly clear. Whereas, you know, the past decade of my experience, I kind of always mesh them together. Right. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a really good observation that, you know, management is extremely important. It matters, uh, yeah. but that's not the primary uh, purpose of my job. Uh, it really is more on the leadership side and, um, you know, it's a, I, I feel like I have the best job in the world. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hey, actually, one thing, just a fun thing to tell you that I, I, I did, we haven't talked about yet, is I'm also on the advisory board of something called Piaggio Fast Forward. I don't know if you've heard of Piaggio, but you would have heard of their brands. They make Vespa. Okay, uh, yeah. So you know Vespa. And Moto Guzzi, which is sort of the European Harley Davidson. And they're looking at the future of, uh, of transportation, sort of saying, what's next? Um, so they have a company in Boston I'm on the advisory board for. And interesting, back to this autonomy thing, the way that group is looking to solve the last mile of autonomy is to follow humans. Well, yeah. So think, think about an automated carrier that follows you around. Uh, and you're essentially acting as the guidance system, in, especially in urban environments where things are, are sort of uh, complex. Um, so that's a really fun one. In 2019, I think you're going to see some product come out from Piazza. Wait, that, well. They don't have the, it's not that, that like neon or like blue or green backpack thing that like follows you in the grocery store and you can put stuff in it. That's not their product? No. no. Uh, this is something that's intended to go outdoors as well as indoors. Um, and um, it's it's uh, pretty cool. So I, but I, the reason why I brought it up is I think it's interesting, just so that I can have a consistent point of view on my autonomy skepticism. It's really <laughs> it's it's using the human to um, to really be the last mile of guidance to solve those problems. And and does the human like wear a bracelet so it knows who it is or from the app or? It's it's vision based. It's vision based. Yeah. What do you do with twins? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know if we've solved that. I don't know if we've solved that problem. That's a good one. <laughs> the of engineering there. Yeah, uh, bring but, that up at the board meeting. <laughs> yeah, but it is uh it's a it's it's a fun thing and I also get to to tool around my 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 hometown here in Silicon Valley in a bright red uh, uh Vespa that the the saddlebag my wife tells me is nicer than any purse she's ever had. So uh, that's a that's a fun one to be on too. Is that the Italian upholstery? Like, is it the quality there? Yeah, no, it's this, like, they made this one Vespa that's, you know, sort of the, the you know, the ultra luxury Vespa. Uh, it's called a 946 that has, you know, this beautiful red Italian leather, the whole, you know, it's just, it, like, it's a thing of beauty. It's not necessarily that practical, but it's, you know, beautiful Italian product design. I love it. Yeah. You got to send yeah. me a picture of that. You rolling around town on your Vespa. <laughs> I will. Yeah, no, it's, it is, it is really, it's fun. And I almost always, you know, particularly from younger people will get some comment like, man, that is a, it's a thing of beauty but, you know, the motorcycle guys, you know, look down on me, but uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely fun. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just, from a leadership point of view, I don't why I went there was, I think, you know, you clearly do this with your podcast and your organization, but it's so easy to get inside your own head around the problems that you have at any company. And so for me, I, I think that that uh, this advisory board role has been a, a great opportunity to be in somebody else's problem set 
And I would just recommend for people if they can, you know, find an opportunity. It doesn't always have to be, you don't have to be king of the world, but find some opportunity to engage on other people's problems. I think that can be really helpful. Oh, yeah. First of all, the fact that we're humans and we're meant to help and contribute to each other. Second of all, the ability to iterate through various perspectives provides new insight. That actually sounds really good. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna write because I need to use that for the next for the next book. But yeah, it, it does though. Like when you start looking at and, and solving other problems and then you come back to your work, that's why like forest breaks are a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh um and and so when you're doing your leadership practice, yeah, what do you think some of the what are the key problems that people are looking to solve? Like what 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 problems have you been able to help people with? Oh, very simple. So, you know, you get a new product and you take it to market. You think it's going to go one way. People see it another. You're not sure, sure who your customer is. And you learn, you learn, you learn. We right. just now, like in the past you know, month or two, have really figured it out and are starting to gain some steam now in the sense that like we are closing every other call that we have, uh, which is way better than closing one out of 10. <laughs> um, right, right. Uh, but the problems are are two. One, when you move individual contributor into a first-time leadership position, at the large companies, they only will have like a generic training. And so right. we have training that's specifically made for technologists, where all the analogies and the people they're hearing from and all of that are specifically related to technology. So we're just a better version of first-time leader training there. So that's that's the one product. People use mm-hmm. this as uh, like a rolling engagement. Every time a new leader comes through, they do this thing. Uh, they like that their challenges. So like, rather than you just look like traditional leadership is, Hey, let's go put you through a day course or two week course or weekend thing. And we're just going to pump you full of information for eight hours a day. Right. Ours is a 10 minute challenge once a week. So you just slowly consistently do something every single week and you actually do something in the real world. So you hear a challenge and then you go do it and then you right. can track your progress. So that's a little bit about the product, but the reasons are rolling engagement for new first-time leaders and then analytics on your existing leaders. It's like the, usually the SVP or the CTO will purchase it from us and say, I, I have, you know, these 20 or 50 leaders and they all lead teams. And I believe that they should at least be doing one thing for 10 minutes every week to improve as a leader. I want to require this. And then I want analytics on what they did with their teams and how it went. And so now they have this accountability for their leaders. And so those are the two, two reasons why people use us. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think that this sort of bite-sized learning, whether it's just more human or whether we've been trained into that with YouTube and other things, that is the way people learn now. Like I, yeah. I can't imagine sending somebody to a four-day training course uh, yeah. unless it's some deep technology subject that, that you know, they need to do that. So that, that sounds very, very uh, smart to me. Yeah, and we don't want people like learning. I know I say that, I want people doing it. Like I want, I want the leader going and doing a leader thing and then having that because we only remember what we experience in real life. Right. I totally agree. I'll tell you how we were wrong. How were you wrong? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I, we, the original idea was take these bits and distribute them to all the technologists at your company and then pay attention to start like to who's engaging with them, like make Mm -hmm. it widely available and then watch who engages and how they think nobody wants to spend money on anything other than either training their existing leaders, which that's just it. That's the one thing. The two cases are they're just first time leader or they're senior leader. So nobody wants to just discover or have a leg up for everyone at the company. You know, it changes everything. It changes your business model, your pricing, everything. Sure. Um, everybody just wants, and that's okay. I, I didn't fight the market. I just said, okay, People want to, let's just make the best version of what people want because that's our job in the market. Yeah. Right, right. Cool. So we did. Yeah. That's great. Um, so what else? Public speaking. Are you doing any public speaking in the near future? I do a lot of speaking on behalf of the, the company I work for and mm-hmm. also this uh, advisory board. I, I just, two weeks ago, we had our uh, biggest user conference, about 5,000 people. And I, I was speaking at that, uh, at that conference. Um, nice. What was the topic? So it was a little bit, it was actually, surprise, surprise, talking about uh, autonomy and automation in, uh, construct, in the construction world, you know, this topic we talked about. And um, uh, I think really pointing out for people, 
that, that people get th this problem difference that we talked about that really if, if you have a excavator out on a job site moving the excavator is not the problem that's not the automation problem it's what does the excavator do when it gets there um and uh you know it's a it, it's an area where there's a lot of technology investment by trimble by other companies right now um just to give you one quick example of that so you know an excavator is that is that thing that has the big bucket at the yep. end of it so it has two arms and a, and a bucket if you want to dig a level trench you actually are, to do that you have to change the angle of the bucket as you're moving and you also have to change the uh you know the way the angle of the two arms sort of logical so skilled operators to do that they have joysticks you know sort of a complex video game um, and it's non-trivial. It takes a while to learn how to do that. So if you outfit all this with sensors uh, and control systems, you can just pull out, pull back on the joystick, basically say, you know, I want a, a one-foot trench dug here flat, and it does it for you. Um, so, yeah, that was my most recent. Uh, and that uh, technology is here today? That technology is here today, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and more. You know, it's, it's in, in an era where, around the world. I went to visit an Indian company, Indian construction company, that they said their number one problem is hiring skilled people. These outdoor jobs are, are dirty, they're dangerous, they're hard work. Um, and so things you can do that make it easier to do those jobs uh, are really well, well received around the world. Back to the farming. If it's easier yeah. to sit in there, it's gonna be well received. So as we wrap up, yeah. Advice that you would give to yourself 10 years ago? That's a really good question. Because uh, I've made a lot of mistakes in the last 10 years, so I, I, could, I could have gotten advice. I think, I, I think it's that, uh, you know, maybe uh, partly getting older as well, that, that you hear people's life stories. And I could give you mine, a nice reverse engineered uh, version of my life story. And it would sound very logical how I went from one thing to the next. Uh, but basically, everything is just an opportunity that presents itself to you and you choose to do it or not. Um, and that some of the most exciting things, the last two places I worked, I'd never heard of before I worked there. I'd never heard of Trimble. I was at this really strange and interesting thing called ICANN, Internet, inter, the, the, the Internet sort of central control organization for domain names, addresses, things like that. And that was sort of by accident I got involved with that super interesting and impactful. So I think it's just, you know, as opposed to always trying to, you know, plan the future, look for the opportunities as they exist and, and seize them and enjoy them. Uh, so that would be my advice to myself. That's some pretty good advice. I like that. Okay, good. Your past good. self thanks you, by the way. <laughs> uh, good, good to know. Thank you, Joel. Doug, this, is, this has been fantastic. We, had a, we have made a podcast. Okay, great. And I really enjoyed speaking with you. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, just to share with you, I, I, you know, as I said, I think you bring great energy to this. So, uh, and, and good questions. And I felt like a very natural conversation. And I think it's great, you know, both. I think it is a contribution just to make something like this available, a great way to get you and your brand out. So, you know, just congratulations for doing that. Oh, thank you so much. I've, yeah, yeah. Did, you, did you check out the episode with the CTO of NASA? It was on my list. I didn't get to that one. The ones, the ones I listened to yesterday were with this guy, was with the woman who is uh, with the clothing Stitch oh, Fix. Is Stitch that Fix. It? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then another one I listened to was with a guy who he seemed like a really interesting guy in the Ruby uh, world. That okay. that. Uh, was was it a pr cat print? Is that oh, right? Oh, cat print. He did the physics for the mouse, right? right. Did you, yeah. So, like with the the acceleration, he did that with like a uh, not Adobe, not Adobe. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. One of the original companies to do computers. Who who made the first graphical user interface? But they didn't get it. Maybe it was uh, oh Xerox Park. That's Xerox. He, was, was Xerox. He, he worked at Xerox Park. And, yeah. you know, it's funny because uh, I bet he and I are not that far apart in age. And I worked at Stanford Research when, oh, yeah? you know, Doug Engelbart first invented, they would say they first invented the computer mouse. Definitely GUI was uh, Xerox Park. You're right. Fantastic. Okay. 
Thank you so much. Jake is going to reach out and get your address and then we'll get the books off to you. And uh, yeah, I'll talk soon. Thanks, Joel. Nice meeting you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.